Hey, this is Tug Coker from The Long Finish. Catherine and I have been thinking about ways to get you all drinking the same wines that we're discussing on the podcast. So we decided to run a contest. So everyone that is reviewed, rated, and subscribed to the show between now and January 20th will be automatically entered to win two bottles of wine that we will send to you in advance so that when the episodes come up, you can be enjoying those wines as we discuss them. All you have to do is rate, review, and subscribe to the show, and then take a screen grab, take a photo, and send them to us. DM us at The Long Finish on Instagram or on Facebook. Go to thelongfinish.com or DM us on Twitter at TLFpod and send us that screen grab showing us that you've rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the show. Everyone that does it between now and January 20th will be entered in to win two bottles of wine that we will send to you to enjoy as we discuss it on the podcast. So thank you to everyone for listening. Let's get back to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I am your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here, as always, with my wife and co-host, Catherine Weil Coker. How are you doing tonight, Catherine? I'm so good. How are you? I love your intro. Every time, it's the same. It's so good. I wish there was a round of applause. I try to think of, like, the 1990s Bulls. That's what I think of when they... Announce Michael Jordan. That's what you are this podcast. You're the Michael Jordan of this podcast. Well, Michael Jordan is a name in wine. It's a very different Michael Jordan. Who is Michael Jordan in wine? He's a master sommelier, and he's from Southern California. Incredible. Would you believe it? I met him years ago when I was in Sonoma at some, like, SOM camp thing. Incredibly intelligent and warm, very open, nice, nice, nice man. Well, when Michael Jordan comes on our podcast, I'm going to give him the same intro. Okay, good. He deserves that kind of intro. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for episode 12. Is that right? Yes. Episode 12 of The Long Finish. We're winding the year down, 2019, winding the decade down as we head into the final two weeks of the year. And we're going to celebrate by doing bubbles. The last couple episodes are going to be dedication to bubbles. We're doing champagne tonight. So here's the order of events tonight. We're going to talk about a little bit about our life and recap the last few days, which have been a lot of fun and eventful. And then we're going to get into a little discussion about what it's like working in restaurants during the holiday season. And then we're going to get into the fun part, which is champagne. Champ it's already fun because we popped the bottle. We're having a nice evening. Yeah, we're enjoying ourselves. So let's go ahead and tell them what we're drinking tonight, Catherine. This is Champagne Jacqueson. It's the Extra Brut Cuvée number 742 Gramvine, a fabulous, truly special champagne from Champagne. Champagne is only from Champagne. I don't know if you knew that. We did talk about this earlier in episode one, as a matter yeah. of fact, but I'm excited to go into this more. But this is truly an old, old historic producer. They're founded in 1798. Pretty cool. And still small, but I'm excited to tell you what I've learned about this champagne because it is really, really special. But it's also just so tasty. It's a richer champagne. This like delivers all those 
toasty brioche almond skin and creaminess that you want from champagne, but it still has zip and acid to it, racy on the finish. And it's got all of that. It feels like super fancy and it is. And it also feels really complex and transparent. There's so much complexity. Anyway, sorry. I could talk on and on about it. That's going to be fun. I'm excited about it. As a person who's not as well-versed in wine as you are, I did not know of this winemaker, so I'm excited to learn more about it. And I, was I think a lot of people probably don't. Cool. Yeah. Let's talk about... I haven't seen you today. I know. Hi. Hi. How are you? This is kind of a fun way for us to, to talk. This is truly how Regis and Kathy Lee did it. Although Regis and Kathy Lee did not live together, as far as I know. Did not live together, but they didn't talk about the events with which they're going to discuss on the show before they went on the air. And we're doing that. We're just catching up. You came home from a day, a fun day at Esther's. What, do you want to talk about what you did at Yeah, Esther's? super fun day. Sunday at Esther's. Instead of just doing our regular Sunday tasting, we had a holiday market. And we had a lot of small artisan vendors there. Really fun. It was just like all the vendors set up on the patio and people were shopping and tasting wine and paper plates. Plains Wines was there. We love them. And it was super fun. Something different. I hope we do it again. I just love having different stuff going on in the space. You know, it makes it feel alive and fresh and new. And for me, it just makes it a pleasure to be at work with new things happening. I love that. And thank you for letting me have the day at work because you were taking care of the kiddos all day. And how was that? Yes, yes. I had to watch both boys today, a three-year-old and one-year-old. And you do this more often than I do. You watch the kids by yourself a lot. Probably five to six times more than I do. And it's a lot. It's hard. It's really hard. Um, went to Chef Jeremy Fox's and Rachel Sheridan's daughter's birthday today. She turned four. So shout out to Jeremy, Chef Jeremy and Rachel. Uh, thank you for having my two boys and I. And I was a mess. I mean, I was just flat out a mess. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the only text I got from you was water bottle leaked in the bag. That's correct. First of all, I have a terrible water bottle. So for anyone <laughs> out there looking to buy me a holiday gift, it's a new canteen where the water doesn't leak. That's all I ask. Don't let the water leak. It's an epidemic within my, my life. It's friggin' bottle. Anyway, so I have the kids' stuff, like extra diapers, their food, extra shirts. I get there. It's completely soaked. The place is just... It's filled. It's busy. There's a lot of people there. There's a lot of kids. I'm wearing white shoes. I immediately pick up a piece of pizza for my three-year-old. Drop the pizza on my white shoe. <laughs> Sorry. I'm really enjoying this. No, you're enjoying hearing about this. I was trying to understand why I'm so exhausted all the time, and obviously it's a lack of sleep. But the other factor, I think, is with this three-year-old, and maybe all three-year-olds, the negotiation that goes on between a three-year-old and their parents is it's unending. Everything is... You know, if I if I eat one more piece of broccoli, I can have this cupcake I got at the birthday party, right? But but I and I got a donut in the bag. But if I if I eat everything, I can have my donut, right? Absolutely. Well, I can have this donut, and like everything is a negotiation, and it's not like they never hear you. They want to barter every time, and it just wears on you sometimes. But um, yeah, the other thing about birthday parties is I feel like I was in some sort of battle, and the party was ninety minutes long. Like I felt like it was the oh, longest yeah. day of my life. It was ninety <laughs> minutes. And then you get home, and you're like, oh my god. It's two o'clock. Yep, two o'clock. Both kids are in a nap, which is going to extend the nighttime. You know, I end up singing songs to the three-year-old for about 50 minutes because it's he's not tired because he had a nap. You were in there for over 45 minutes I have tonight. a huge repertoire of nighttime songs. So, you know, if anyone out there wants to hear a, a song, I don't do karaoke much, but I have, a, I have a large book of songs I'm happy to sing for your kids. Hire me. Do you change it based on the seasons? Is it more like, you very, know, holiday-esque now? Very seasonal. In springtime, I do a lot of um, Camelot. 
Yeah. If ever I would leave you. God, that's a great song. Great song. Summertime is a lot of grease. It's a little on the nose, but you know, got to get my summer loving in. Those summer nights. <laughs> I, I fall, I forgot. Guys, he's not joking. <laughs> he really does. He really does. Sometimes I, because you can hear him if I'm in our bedroom. I'm like, really? He's doing that song? Like, yeah. how does he even know the words to that song? I did start some too close, some next. Oh, boy. But then I quickly stopped myself. Yeek. Not ready for that. Not good for kids. No. <laughs> Um, the other thing I'll say about this is we just have some real, the sleep patterns have been so off for our kids. Catherine was bragging the other night about our uh, one-year-old and how well he slept at the night. Because well, we that, had one night. One night. One night. One night. She's like, this is it. It's all going to change now. We're going to get the sleep that we've wanted the whole year. <laughs> for one night, went right back to some terrible pattern where the three-year-old was in my bed twice. I slept in his room well, last night. I was night. on the couch for an hour with the baby last night. Yeah. I was talking to someone today. She's like, oh, well, we sleep trained our kids. I'm like, yeah, we did that. <laughs> We did too. <laughs> we've done it twice, actually. Many times we've done it. Always back to this. That's why we drink champagne. That's why we have to treat ourselves. So um, to end the night, I'm going to say, you know what? The tonight was probably a five for me. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, definitely a five. I mean, I came in. The baby was screaming bloody murder and had a fever. It was not pleasant tonight. Maybe worse than a five. Yeah. So that's our week. We're excited. We're going to be off into Virginia for part of the holiday. It's we're going to be flying for the first time with our one year old who's been who's mobile. That should be a lot of fun. Snacks, just all kinds of snacks. So yeah, we're doing that over the holidays. And speaking of holidays, wanted to ask you a couple questions about working in restaurants during the holiday season, both at Esther's, but at your time at Rustic or August, wherever restaurants you know you've worked in the past. La Pan Quotidienne. Oh, big holiday rush. <laughs> What's it like? So, and what what are you thinking about at Esther's right now? What, what's the holiday season like for you with regards to Esther's? Esther's is a different beast because we have people coming in just to enjoy a holiday drink with their friends. We have parties like uh, smaller and larger events that book the space, and then we also have retail. We have gift boxes with wine or some without wine. So it's a hybrid, and it's a lot of different things, and that makes it busy and festive and fun, but also, frankly, a little hectic, especially for the staff to have to know how to do all those different things. Oh, we know how to run an event, we know how to do regular service, and build 10 gift boxes at the same time. It is a big ask. You know, our staff has to switch around and do a lot of different things all the time. So thank you guys for holding it up and doing it every day. I worked at Domain LA, a wine shop in West Hollywood for two years. And that holiday season is nuts. In Because in retail, I don't know, like 75% of your business is in December. It's like, it's crazy. So Esther's has some of that because we have a portion that we're retail, but it's not fully that. And then at Rustic Canyon, there were a lot of parties and stuff. The fun part being a wine person is just like seeing the different bottles that people want to open around the holidays. They're people, always people like, like they're more likely to splurge on yeah, something to celebrate. they want they're like oh we're out with friends for this special christmas dinner let's get this bottle people drink more champagne and or bubbles yeah that part's really fun as opposed to february all right guys 
Come on. Come <laughs> Let's back drink in. some good wine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, December is a really fun month to sell wine. One thing I've noticed about uh, the holidays in the couple of years that Hester's has been open is that December has fun during the week events, but on the weekends, you see it's a little lighter because so many people want to have their holiday parties on the weekends during December. So it's not necessarily as busy of a weekend time as it normally is throughout the year because everyone's off celebrating at people's houses. Rustic Canyon was like that too. Mellow. I think a lot of places, in yeah. at least where we live, more mellow on Saturday, Sunday during the week. Really busy. And you mentioned the idea of drinking more bubbly wine. Any thoughts as to why this season kind of goes with... I mean, it makes sense with New Year's and things like that, but is there is there another reason or anything you can think of as to why bubbles go so well with this holiday time period? I mean, bubbles are just celebratory. And, you know, there's just that feeling in the air right now that's just like festive, you know, like it's time to party. It just is a December thing. There are holiday parties around people are giving gifts to each other people are just in that mood and bubbles traditionally just celebrate that they're just like that's what you drink when you win the french open right wow what a random poll for you i don't know the french <laughs> open you're a big rafael nadal fan i'm just saying when something great happens in your life people often will give you champagne for your wedding for a birth of a child Maybe not as much. I, I don't recall know. no champagne <laughs> being given to us for the birth of either one of our children. I made you go out and get some. Yeah, exactly. Uh. You hear that? <laughs> when we have our third, right, Catherine? Wink, wink. Mm. <laughs> mm. What was that? Champagne for the babies. It's just celebratory wine. You mentioned earlier using the holiday season to splurge on some delicious wines. Well, we've got one tonight. So let's go ahead and talk about the wine that we're drinking tonight. So we have Jacques Hisson. That's the name of the producer. As I said, it was founded in 1798. So they've been around for a long time. And 80% of their grapes are from vineyards they own. So they produce what they grow. But 20% they do purchase, which is unusual. Usually I'm all about champagne producers that only produce from what they grow. There are a few exceptions to that. And this is one of them at Esther's I'm speaking of. They are though very obsessed with farming everything that they own and what they buy as well. They are obsessed with their farming. It's technically sustainable, although a third of it is organic, and they never use herbicides and any kind of anything that they put on the vineyard is organic. It's just not certified. And they have a lot of cover crops. It's just good, good farming. And then as far as winemaking, they're fermenting and aging in oak and doing some batonage, which is stirring of the lees of the dead yeast cells, which is creating kind of like more creaminess that you see and richness that you see in this wine. And then the wine is not filtered and it doesn't have a ton of sulfur. They are as I said, a super old house. So actually Krug, who is one of the like top, top big houses in Champagne, or I don't know if they're that big, but they're really a top house. The guy who founded Krug actually came from Jacasson, which he left in like 1830 and went and started Krug. So they're pretty classic, but it's now owned by the Chique family who bought it in the 1970s. And the two brothers that run the estate now are Laurent and Jean-Hervé Chique. And they started this thing in the early 2000s, where instead of making a non-vintage cuvee, like your 
house cuvee or entry level champagne, which is usually a blend of various vintages. That's what most houses have. They now have the seven series. So all of these wines are based on a single vintage. They're not a blend of vintages. So this is based on, even though it's technically, I guess, a non-vintage, it's based on 2014 vintage. They wanted to do that because they want to show the expression of what a vintage is rather than just what their style is. They think that is more reflective and, and truthful. And so this is 2014. And then there is some reserve wine in the dosage that's added, which is giving it some depth, but it's based on 2014. And so every year they have this. And then their only other wines are just single vineyard wines that are terroir specific. They don't just have like vintage wines because this is truly a vintage wine. This is really special for champagne. It's not something that all the producers do. That was kind of a lot, but... So let's break this down a little bit and let's talk about some things that I think are important to learn about champagne. So let's start from the beginning and say, what is champagne? Well, champagne's a region. It is about an hour... Again, it's like we always talk about with old world wines, right? Champagne is the region and not the varietal. Champagne is a region, but wines from champagne are always going to be made in the traditional method or champagne method, which is a method of making sparkling wine that involves a second fermentation in the bottle. Champagne's easy to get to. It's about a little over an hour from Paris, and it's a great place to visit if you want to see a big house and a fancy show and taste some wonderful wine. It's super fun. It's not picturesque, so to speak, and I wouldn't say the vineyards, when you're looking at the vineyards, you're not like, wow, this is so idyllic. It's a little cold, and it's kind of far north, and it doesn't have that like cozy feeling, but the houses are really special. The wineries are really special. I remember getting so lost. We got so, so lost. So lost. Oh my god! I there's different, we'd there's different villages. Tons, hundreds of, of communes. Communes I mean, within the Champagne region, and we were driving. We started driving at night. I don't speak French. I was going into some sort of what looked like a mini mart or something. We we end up driving into a place, and it was closed except for like one hot dog stand. We ended up having to order like cheese plate from the hotel. Oh yeah, we did. That was a good cheese yeah. plate, and they had great bathrobes. <laughs> Some hotels had that, you know? I love it. You remember that, yeah. Oh, I I remember every hotel that has one of those. That makes me so happy. So we talk about second fermentation. You did a great job of uh, talking about what fermentation was in an earlier episode. Can you talk about what that means with the first and second fermentation in general terms? So in sparkling wine, you make a base wine, your simple white wine, the way you normally make wine. Then there's a couple different ways of making sparkling wine, a couple different methods. There's the traditional method, otherwise known as the champagne method. There's the Charmant method. There's the tank method. And then there's just carbonating. And then there's Petit Naturel, Petnat, or Method Ancestral. But tonight we're talking about traditional method. So you have your base wine. You put your base wine into the bottles. You add a little bit of yeast and a little bit of sugar, and you put a cap on it. Then you let it sit. Non-vintage champagne is going to sit for a minimum of 15 months and vintage champagne, that means it's all from the same year, is going to sit for a minimum of three years. Then is the process of riddling, which can be done by hand by a person turning a bottle with the neck down so that all the yeast collects in the neck or can be done by a giant machine, which is most of the time now. You freeze the neck of the bottle 
that turns the lees, the dead yeast, into a little like cube. And you have disgorgement, which means you take the cap off the top of the bottle. It's like a beer cap. The dead yeast flies out. You put a little bit of dosage in there, which is usually like a little bit of sugar or grape must and sometimes a little vintage wine. And you put the cork and the mousselet on. That's like the cage. And then you've got it. Did that make sense? I thought it was really well done. Labor intensive. Yeah. When done by hand, super labor intensive. A lot of times people talk about why champagne is expensive. I mean, some of that is the reason why, right? It's just so, it's labor intensive. Labor intensive takes a lot of time. I mean, non-vintage means it could be a blend of various vintages. That's your house style. That's the wine you're making the most of in general. That has to age a minimum of 15 months in the bottle. Like that's just a lot of time. And that's after you make your base wine. It is a lot of time. And one thing that you think of is sparkling wines being on the pricier side. Non-vintage is usually the more affordable version of that, right? And then you see the vintage wines, which the wine we're drinking tonight is vintage. Correct. So that's the minimum of three years. It is. This is all from 2014. And it says on the back, it was disgorged in September of 2018. I love it when they say when it was disgorged. Not all bottles do that, but it's really cool. This also says the dosage. So the dosage I talked about, that's what's added at the very end. And it's that grape must or sugar and little bit of reserve wine is added at the end because champagne just has high acid. It has a ton of acidity. So some sugar balances that out. It makes the wine complete. It makes the fruit more expressive all the nuance to the wine more expressive. Now what's in style now is like wines that don't have either are no dosage or have a very slight dosage. And this has 1.5. So that's very low. That's in our extra brute category. But some wines have more. Most wines are in the brute category. And that's somewhere between, I don't know, 5 and 12. I find that most wines that most champagnes that are traditional that I kind of love end up being around eight. Bring up a great question though. This is fun to talk about because sometimes when people are drinking sparkling wines and champagne, they say they don't want too sweet or they want to know. And that's what we're talking about with dosage. You know, you want to take a word home with you for the day. Dosage is a great word because you can ask that question to any psalm, any wine expert out there and say, what's the dosage? And you can kind of know, oh, that's too sweet for me. And you can also just look on the label because there are certain words that are written on the label that let you know what the range of the dosage is. So if it says Brut Natur, it doesn't have a dosage or there's no sugar added. Extra Brut is up to three grams, I believe. Brut's up to 12 grams. And then you have Extra Dry, Dry and Dew, which we don't get a lot of Extra Dry, Dry and Dew champagnes here. They're just not popular in the United States or maybe worldwide. You do see a lot more of that Extra Dry and Dry with like Prosecco or something because that is a wine that now there are some really dry Proseccos coming out that you just see more but in general an extra dry and just a dry Prosecco are great it's kind of like what you're looking for because it's just a little bit sweeter and fruitier sparkling wine well, I think that's something that confuses the layperson and myself when it comes to looking at sparkling wine sometimes because dry is actually on the less dry side 
Oh yeah. For this, like absolutely. When you want dry, you actually don't want dry. You want brute. Extra you want brute, brute, brute or extra brute? Yeah. Brute tour. Yeah. So yeah, so it goes that's, brute and tour, extra brute, brute, extra dry, dry, do. So when you want something that's dry, you don't want dry. You want brute. Yep. Or extra brute. This is an extra brute we got right here. So that's something that I had to learn and I take away now as I drink more sparkling wines that there are some confusing terminology with the champagne region. And oh sparkling yeah, wine, because like you're going to go into a liquor store, just a straight up liquor store and buy a sparkling wine and you're like, it says dry on it. And it says it's champagne. It's not champagne and it's not dry. Whatever you just bought, if you spent $14 on it, it's not. <laughs> It's Which become, is great. Like there right. are so there are many wonderful sparkling wines, and I don't really want to drink champagne at the beach on a Tuesday morning. I might want to drink something lighter, just like less complex and intense, just a simpler sparkling wine. I'm glad you said that because you talked about this wine being a richer wine because it was its original wine. It was in oak. But what are some of the general indicators of champagne? I think in terms of fruit like apple, green apple, yellow apple, citrus, brioche or toast, cream, and then like a minerality as well. And then the, f- the kind of bubbles it has. They're just finer and more persistent. Prosecco tends to have bigger bubbles. Petit Naturel or Pet Nat wines tend to have super soft bubbles. The Perlage, that's kind of like the bubbles. The Perlage is less persistent. And with Champagne, they're finer and they're persistent bubbles. I'm taking away some fun words tonight. Dosage, Perlage, Brut Nature, some great stuff. Pairings, food. Oh God, what doesn't it go with? But really, like any seafood, particularly raw bar, but any seafood. And then one of my favorites, uh, French fries, chips. Champagne and chips? Oh my gosh, classic. Salty and the sparkling, it's just forever. Uh, So great with fried chicken, my goodness. Oh, remember that place we went in London? The hot Bubble dogs. Yes, it was grower champagne and hot dogs. That place was rad. If you're in London, you need to go to this place. It's called Bubble Dogs, and they basically do two things, champagne and serve hot dogs. That place is so fun. It's so fun. All kinds of grower champagne and hot dogs. And I actually want to ask you this question now. People talk a lot about grower champagne. Can you talk a little bit about what that term means and how it differentiates from some of the other more common champagnes you might see, like the Vouves of the world? So champagne, the thing that got really popular there is just making a house style right? A consistent style. That's where the NV or non-vintage came in because depending on the vintage, you may have gotten a great crop or not a great crop, but you could blend vintages to make your style. And bigger houses are called maison or they're just big houses like Veuve Clicquot or Moet Chanon, Perrier Jouet. Like there's tons of big houses and they buy from a lot of different growers and their main thing is their house style. And then their top wine is called their Tete de Cuvée. That's traditional. Now they're also co-ops. That's kind of in the middle. So they're little villages that get all the growers in their little village to make wine together. And the most probably well known of that is Nicholas Fouillat. And then there's 
the growers, the grower producers. These are the people that farm their own vineyards and produce wines only from the grapes that they grow. And in for the most part, those are the wines that we have at Esther's because, A, there's just way more control over what they're doing in the vineyard. There's a lot of integrity in those wines. They tend to show more nuanced terroir. They're smaller. There's just a lot of integrity and story in those wines as well. I have a few exceptions. One is this wine we're drinking tonight, the Jacqueson. Another one is Ploy Jacquemart because she buys fruit from her cousins. I'm like, all right, they're still in your family. Okay. Um, So they have to be really carefully chosen. But grower producer means literally they're the farmer and the winemaker. So what excited you about drinking this wine tonight? I'm excited about this because it's a little hidden gem. It's loved by the wine community. And I have tasted this wine, but I've never really like enjoyed a bottle. Certainly not the 742, but never any of the 7 Series. And I'm like, you know what? I really just need to fully appreciate this producer. They're historic. They're small. They're doing amazing things with their farming. And they're just really taking some major steps in terms of what they're producing and why. Like they have this 700 series. So literally every year is a vintage wine instead of having a non-vintage blend. That's kind of amazing. And their their top blends are just single vineyard. They're super terroir specifics. So they're choosing to showcase vintage and being transparent over their personal house style which I think is the way that Champagne is moving, or I hope it's moving, to just be more like a wine, which really show, uh, a still wine, which shows what happened that year. What was it like? How was it different? They are famous also, though, for having really, really old wines in the cellar that have not been disgorged, like 15 years old. So that means like the lees are still in there. They have not been taken out. So that would be super cool to try something older like that. They're pretty special in that way. And and not the founder of Jacqueson, but his son, Adolphe, actually created the patent for the Mousselet. The Mousselet is the cage that goes on the champagne bottle. So they've got history all around. It's just kind of, but it's not something you would ever recognize on the shelf, right? It's just kind of undercover, which is like my favorite thing. So we're talking about dosage, perlage, musillette, brut nature. A lot of words may take home tonight. Um, You also forgot a word, which maybe I didn't mention, which is liqueur de tirage or tirage. That is the sugar and yeast that is added to create the second fermentation inside the bottle. Catherine loves her handwriting as much as anyone on the planet. So I do, I what, do. What I'm going to ask her to do is to write these great words and put them on Instagram as a little bit of a champagne one-on-one. I'm sure a lot of you out there know more about champagne than I do. So thank you for going along this refresher for yourself. But we're going to post this little blurb about some of the words that go with champagne and have some fun. And so like Catherine's saying, tis the season to be celebrating life, the end of the decade, graduations, weddings, just being with your family. So if you're out looking to splurge on some champagne, be sure to hit us up. We'll give you some thoughts on some great champagnes and try this one. We'll post the champagne on our Instagram, all of our social media, so you can have a look. And um, if you feel like celebrating this holiday season, hope you grab a great bottle of champagne or some fun sparkling wine doesn't have to be champagne. Just get the sparkling wine of your choice and celebrate. All right. Now we come to the final part of the evening, which is uh, what's been inspiring us this week. Catherine, do you have anything that's been inspiring you this week? I do. Oh, wow. Let's hear it. 
I have been reading this book called Deep Work by Cal Newport, which Josh Loeb gave to me. So another nonfiction, sort of in the world of, I don't know, business or how to be a better worker or something. I don't know what the category is for this. But I'm really enjoying it because it's not only talking about the importance of deep work in our society. That means making space for focused periods of time when you're just either learning or engaged in a single task and not distracted from that task and really, really delving into something. And how important that is in our society right now in terms of a skill and also the things that come out of deep work, the discoveries, the production like the writing, the novels, the the science discoveries, the apps, all the things that come out of deep work are valuable for society, but then also how it enriches one's own life in terms of meaning and what you put attention on. And it gives like reasons basically for deep work and then how to do apply it in your life. And just I'm drinking the juice. I'm digging it. I'm ready for my deep work. Amazing. I'm going to give this to you when I'm done. I have to read it? I think so. Is there a book on tape? You mean Cliff's Notes from me? <laughs> Cliff's Notes from no. me? No. Wikipedia have a page? No, but there's a whole section on social media you're going to have to read. Okay. Yeah, I think it's good. I'm into that. For me, I'm going to go with a little broader term. I'm going to do a little shout out to all the bilingual people out ah. there. Shout out to people that can speak multiple languages. I cannot do that. I am embarrassed by that. It was not something that was instilled in my particular family when I was growing up. It wasn't. I didn't actually travel abroad until I was 23 years old. I went to Russia. I did try to learn some Russian. Catherine was in grad school with me. We both tried to learn some Russian. That didn't go over so great. I learned the words for potato and cabbage, and I used those. You could get us around in, the, in a taxi yeah. like no one else. Well, I know Priyama is straight in Russian, so I get my words but I don't have conjugation or like that. And so, you know, we're looking into maybe entering our son into an immersion school. We don't know exactly how get him to learn a second language, but it is one of our goals, one of my goals. My three goals for my kids really are learn a second language, play a musical instrument, play a team sport. I think that's a great way for them to kind of go about life. And um, you see it all the time in restaurants, people that can speak Spanish and English. My wife speaks Spanish and English. And I look forward to having a household where I may be forced to have to learn Spanish because they're speaking Spanish around me, making fun of me. I'll never forget traveling to Barcelona with Catherine 15 years ago where she's having a conversation with the cab driver and they're talking in Spanish and they're pointing back at me laughing. Not the feeling that I want to have <laughs> in my own house when they're speaking oh. Spanish and I can't understand it. So really cool to take a tour of this dual immersion school elementary school don't know if one up going there but it was very interesting to see their thought processes behind why they teach kids to read spanish first they start uh, reading spanish in kindergarten they don't start reading english till second grade they have their reasons for why they do it so anyway i just want to give a special shout out to all the people that can speak a second language it's impressive and um it's something i still aspire to do with half my life left maybe i'll get it done but anyway that's inspiration for me for the week so all right we've done it episode 12 in the books. 
If you have an opportunity to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, we would be so grateful. We're really excited about some things we're planning to do in 2020 with guests, some on-site interviews, et cetera, et cetera. So again, if you have a chance to take some time out and do a quick subscribe, rate, and review the show, we would be really appreciative. Catherine, where can they find you and the show on social media? You can find me on Instagram at Catherine Weil Coker. You can find The Long Finish at The Long Finish. And both are on Facebook. The Long Finish is also TLF Pod on Twitter, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tug Coker. Thank you so much to everyone out there listening. If you have a question, we had to look up some wine for someone in Richmond. If you want to know where we can find some wines that we talk about, don't be afraid to ask us on social media or at The Long Finish. We'll be happy to reply. And if you have thoughts about uh, even a dinner party or anything like that, shoot us an email. We'll give you some thoughts on some great wines. And we'll hope to see you back here next week for another edition of The Long Finish. Thanks for joining us. And until then, happy drinking. Ciao.